The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. It seems to me that a vegan world wouldn't just make things kinder, it would make things clearer. In today's headlines, I've been reading about the findings of a huge undercover investigation at Fair Oaks Farm, a a dairy and tourist attraction in Indiana. Workers were shown abusing calves. The owner explained that these workers were in complete violation of the company's humane standards and that they had been fired. Now, I believe him, but here's the problem. Even if we take off the table the relative humaneness of raising other beings for profit, forcibly impregnating them, taking away their babies, appropriating mother's milk as a commodity, and then slaughtering its producer when she's barely past adolescence, even if somebody is okay with all that, the very existence of this industry makes horror story images like those we're seeing today and we've seen many times before possible. These are behaviors that everybody agrees are all wrong all the time. So let's just go vegan. You know it's kind. It's also clear. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, host of the Main Street Vegan Program. If you are a regular, I adore you. And if you're new, I welcome you wherever you are along your vegan or veg curious journey. After the break, we'll be speaking with Kitten Baca, a.k.a. Kitten the Juice Pirate, Kitten the Vegan Pirate, who released some 300 pounds with juicing and a plant-exclusive diet. And first, we have Elizabeth Young of Palomacy Pigeon and Dove Rescue in California. I met Elizabeth five years ago at a United Poultry Concerns event, and I was photographed with a gorgeous white king pigeon never dreaming that one day I would have a rescue pigeon as part of my own family. But, you know, when you're open to life, 
all sorts of things can happen. And what happened for Elizabeth was discovering back in 2007 a deadly gap in animal welfare when she met a smart, charming pigeon who, because he couldn't be released back to the wild, was scheduled for euthanasia. No one was helping domestic pigeons and doves bred for sport or for business who had become injured or displaced. So she created Palomacy Pigeon and Dove Adoptions to help people help birds. And as an adoptive pigeon mom, I'm going to say that works both ways. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hello. Thank you so much. Well, it's wonderful to finally have you on the show. When I met you way back when, I thought, oh, yeah, this woman would be fascinating to have on the show, and we're finally getting around to it. So pardon my uh, being slow, and I'm so happy that you're here today. So tell us a little bit more, Elizabeth, about how you got into this particular area of animal protection. It was totally accidental and unplanned. I love all animals. I've always loved all animals, horses, spiders, whales, everybody. I just love them all. I've always been interested, always been very drawn to them. And I maybe had a midlife crisis. I decided I was going to start volunteering in an animal shelter. Um, I already was full up. I had my own household of rescued and adopted pets. But I thought, you know, this is practical. I can help out and help more animals and you know, not take on full responsibility. But I was really surprised when I started volunteering at the San Francisco uh, Animal Care and Control. Every week they were getting in these big white king pigeons that had been bred for meat. These are domestic birds. They're bred for squab, which is uh, considered a delicacy and served in fancy restaurants all over the world. And I had never heard of these birds, and I was really surprised. I thought I knew a lot about animals, and I didn't know anything about them. And at the shelter, they would come in. They couldn't be released. Nobody knew about them. They didn't get named. They didn't get put on a website. They didn't get adopted. They were just euthanized. And I met this Guetamina, she had been somebody's pet. She wasn't just straight off the squab farm. She had actually been kept as a pet before she ended up at the shelter. And she was so smart and sweet. And she just basically took my hand and showed me who she was. And I realized, like, oh, well, I, I can't, I have to find a home for this bird. I mean, she would make the amazing pet. And I was able to. And then what do you do? Because there's the second one right behind her. And so it was unnerving. I never, ever wanted to start an animal rescue. That was like a fear of mine. Uh, but here I am 12 years and over a thousand birds later. And it's been extraordinary. Oh, what a beautiful story. Now, when you talk about squab, it reminds me of foie gras. It's something that we know is very cruel, but I don't know if I know anybody who's ever really eaten it. So, so what is the deal with squab and, and how did these pigeons that were intended for the meat world end up in a shelter to begin with? Great questions. So 
humans have been eating and using pigeons from the very, very beginning, long before we domesticated chickens. And uh, baby, so pigeons are very good parents. They raise, uh, they hatch two eggs at a time, and they raise the babies together, both mother and father. The babies have to stay in the nest for like four weeks. The parents both feed them. They don't come out of the nest. And what happens is they grow fast and they get big. And, and uh, at 28 days old, they're only four weeks old. They've never fledged out of the nest. So they've never flown. They don't even know how to self-feed yet. The squad producer or the person who's harvesting these pigeons for meat takes the babies out of the nest, throws them in a crate, you know, bunches of them, and most of them just go straight to the squab processing plant where they are butchered and cellophane wrapped and wind up, you know, on a fancy restaurant plate. There's a small percentage of these uh, squab that are routed to live poultry markets. Uh, some cultures, uh, freshness is the, is the most desired quality for meat, and people like to buy fresh, live uh, meat animals. And so what happens is all around here in the Bay Area and other places, it happens all over the country, actually, some places more than others, but these, these four-week-old baby pigeons they look like they're full grown. Uh, if you don't know what you're looking at, I mean, they look big, they're fully feathered, but they're totally immature and they're being sold live and people see them and buy them. Uh, king pigeons are snow white. It's not an accident. It's just the same reason that Foster's chickens, their broiler chickens are all white and Tyson's turkeys are all white. That's because consumers uh, in our culture, prefer white skin, uh, light skin, pink skin meat, and to get that requires white feathers. So these birds are bred to be white. They're bred to be big. They are sold to the public at live poultry markets, flea markets, farmers markets, things like that. People buy them mostly to take home and cook, but some buy them to set them free quote-unquote, they think they can take them to the park and just let them go and they'll be saving their life. They won't. They won't survive, and it's a, it's a terrible end. They suffer a lot. They're completely domestic with no survival skills. Or they buy them and use them for a do-it-yourself, quote-unquote, white dove release. People have this notion. They think, oh, you can have white birds and you let them go and they fly home and it's beautiful for the wedding or the funeral or the memorial. And unfortunately, it's very misguided. And so that's how these birds, sometimes the very lucky few, it's extraordinary, really. They, so they, they were, you know, they were headed down a path to be butchered, but instead were routed to a live poultry market. Then they were supposed to be purchased for dinner, but instead they were purchased to be released for one reason or another. So that's another miracle. And then they're out there in the world. They're totally vulnerable. They're totally helpless. No survival skills. A lucky few are found by good Samaritans and taken to animal shelters before they're killed. Most of them die out 
in the world. Uh, everybody eats them, hawks, ravens, gulls, cats, dogs, raccoons. Wow. I had no idea. You know, we've all seen those releases. And I think if you don't know about this particular breed of birds, you just assume that even though they never should have been in a cage to be released for somebody's event anyway, at least they're released now. They're going to wherever they want to go. And now we know one more time <laughs> that humans get involved in animals' lives and the animals get the very short end of the stick. I'm learning so much from you already, Elizabeth. So Can what about doves, pigeons? I mean, are pigeons and doves the same? Are they closely related? What's the difference? That's a great question, Victoria. And actually, it's a good segue. I want to do a little bit of a follow-up. So there are people who do professional, quote-unquote, dove releases. They breed snow-white homing pigeons. So this is a different breed from a king pigeon. King pigeons are bred to be heavy and meaty and butchered at four weeks old. Homing pigeons are bred to uh, enhance their natural homing instinct and to be good, strong flyers. They breed them snow white because people like the white birds for their ceremonies. And so the professional, quote unquote, dove releasers, in theory, their birds are usually going to make it home. Not, not all of them, but most of them. They're designed to make it home. So they, it's a business. They breed these all white birds. They discard any that are born with any color in their feathers. Uh, they take them to a wedding or a funeral or whatnot. They let them go, and the birds fly home because all pigeons care about is home. They're very, very devoted to home and family. So we are still against that practice, but it's not as terrible as when people make the mistake of the do-it-yourself, quote-unquote, dove release. That's when they buy these big white king pigeons. They don't know the difference. They let them go and those birds are immediately slaughtered. Another thing that happens is people buy snow white little ring neck doves, getting to your question. Doves are in the same family as pigeons, but they're different species. It's sort of like thinking of wolves and coyotes, right? They're in the same family, but they're very different animals. And there are literally hundreds of different species of pigeons and doves. And we here in the States, what we see the most is the, the, the Columba Livia. That's the rock pigeon that was imported from the Mediterranean uh, several hundred years ago. And they're very successful. They live all over. They live in our cities. And those are the kind of the root stock that these other fancy breeds the king pigeons, the homing pigeons, the fantails are drawn from. Doves are small and they don't have near the homing instinct. Uh, like little morning doves, you may be familiar in your backyard. A lot of us around the country have morning doves or we might have Eurasian collar doves or spotted doves. They're all over, but they are different. It's not the same pigeon and dove. It's, it's, like I said, it's like the difference between coyotes and wolves. They're different. Fascinating. So with your regular garden variety pigeon, <laughs> the kind that people are very familiar with, 
And I know every time I'm in England or or France, I'm always paying attention to the pigeons. I I have a feeling the ones in France seem like they're a little bit of a different breed. They seem rounder somehow. (laughs) Not sure. But what can we do for them? How can we be friends of, of these ubiquitous birds that we see all the time? That's so true. So, yes, there are. And you might mean, so people may know the story passenger pigeons right? They were native to the United States, and um, they were the greatest number of flocking creatures in the world. There's no, no land or sky creature flocked or, or accumulated in greater numbers than passenger pigeons, and we humans wiped them all out. They're extinct now. Um, we did that in a, like less than 50 years in the end of the 1800s, the beginning of 1900s. Uh, in in Europe, they have uh, what are called woodies. So, like our rock pigeon, but it's it's another species, and they're that's their native bird there. They also have the rock pigeons. We also have band-tailed pigeons. That's a native species that we still have in the United States. But the ones that we see most frequently are those rock pigeons, the Columba livia. And there's a few important things. And I love, I'm so happy to be talking to you and to your listeners because this is a bird that we all have in common. We all see pigeons. We all know pigeons somewhere along the way, whether we live in the city or the country, uh, they're everywhere. They are ubiquitous. And there's a few important things to know about them. One is they're completely harmless. Pigeons have a very untrue reputation as being dangerous uh, disease carriers or a threat to human health. And none of that is true. It is actually quite the opposite. Humans are much more likely to get sick from dogs or cats or other people than we are from pigeons. Pigeons do get sick just like any other creature. They have their own illnesses but they are absolutely terrible at giving them to us. They're just not good sources of disease for humans. So they're completely harmless. So that's really important to remember. When you're walking around the city and you see a pigeon or you see a flock of pigeons or you're in the park, don't be afraid of them. They are not going to make you sick. Um, They are completely harmless. They're vegan. Pigeons, though, if they're hungry enough out in the world, they'll eat KFC or whatever they can find. But by nature, they're granivores. They don't bite anybody. They don't prey on anybody. They are um, the bottom of the food chain. Everybody eats pigeons, hawks, ravens, gulls, cats, dogs, possums, raccoons. Um, so being, being able to speak up for them and, and say when somebody goes, oh, gross, say, oh, no, don't worry, that's that there's no risk from that pigeon. You're not going to get sick from pigeons. Another thing to understand is people say, oh, they're dirty. Actually, pigeons are only dirty if they're in a dirty environment. You would never see a pigeon dirty by choice. They are meticulous and perfectionist about their feathers. They love to bathe. And so if you see dirty pigeons, it means they're just trapped in a dirty environment. Um, One of the kindest things you can do is put out fresh water put out a nice big basin of water. Um, I, what I like to do is put it out fresh every morning. At the, um, in the evening, I tip it over, let it just 
dry overnight uh, upside down and then refill it in the morning and it's clean and it's easy and it's a gift to all the wildlife. Um, we invented the word. So people say, well, what's palomacy? We actually had to invent a word for what we're doing and it means pigeon diplomacy. Oh. Nobody was helping these birds. I love it. Pigeon diplomacy. That's absolutely beautiful. And listeners, you can find Elizabeth Young and Palomacy at pigeonrescue.org. And the Facebook page and the Twitter and the Instagram are Pigeon Diplomacy. And we will put all that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So what do you do, Elizabeth, at Palomacy to help some of these feathered creatures? So we believe that birds should be wild and free. We, we, uh, we're not advocates for captive birds. Uh, and we support and encourage everything we can to, to, to keep birds wild and free. But there are people who breed domestic pigeons and doves. They're not wild birds. They can't survive in the wild. They're very smart. They're very amazing, but they don't have survival skills. And it's a terrible thing. Basically, their birthright of flying and living free is stolen from them before they've even hatched. They've been changed right to their very DNA. And so that's what we do. We are here. We're not, we don't support breeding in any way, shape, or form. We don't support selling or using these birds in any way. But there are so many that are out there. People breed them for their sports and hobbies. Thousands and thousands of racing pigeons are bred and taken hundreds of miles from home and released. And people bet on, you know, uh, the speed at which, you know, whoever wins will get back. And many of those birds will never make it home. Uh, a lucky few, when they run out of energy and strength, when they get grounded or hawkstruck and injured, if they're lucky enough, a nice person will find them and reach out and try to get some help for them. But many racing pigeons die flying their hearts out trying to get home. Uh, we help those that are lucky enough to get rescued or the king pigeons that were, like I said, they were purchased and uh, somebody quote unquote set them free and they were lucky enough to get saved uh, and found before they got eaten. Um, we help with the fantails and the powders and the croppers and the short faced owls and people breed hundreds of different types of pigeons for their shows, their businesses, and their hobbies. It's just like dogs. You know how there's every kind of dog. There's St. Bernard's and pugs and French bulldogs and greyhounds. People have done that exact same thing to pigeons. So if you Google pigeon images, uh, you'll be amazed at what you see. And we help those birds who are unreleasable. They've already been bred. Somebody else has created them and endangered them or displaced them, we help those birds to get homes where they can live out their lives and be happy and safe and have the best result they can under the circumstances. 
And you know better than most, you have a rescued pet pigeon, Thunder, and you know what an amazing, charming, smart, great housemate he is. Oh, he really is. And and for those who aren't regulars on the show, if you are a regular, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about the wonders of Thunder. <laughs> pigeon but the reason that he lives in a house and instead of uh, outside is because he is blind in one eye so he can't steer he can fly up but then he can't go anywhere and just falls back down so I I have been learning in the almost a year since he he has been with us what he needs what he prefers and as we know as, as people who are sensitive to animals every creature has needs, has preferences, has interests. And it's such an incredible gift to get to know that about someone who who is inhabiting a body so very different from mine. Quite a guy. So (laughs) tell us, Elizabeth, exactly what you do. Where are you? How can we help? We are, so we're headquartered in Northern California, but the thing is, there are pigeons and doves in need of adoption and fostering and homes and support all over. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter. Indiana, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Chicago, New York, anywhere you might be, there are pigeons and doves who are unreleasable. They can't live free but they're in danger because they're surplus or they're unwanted or they're being displaced or they're lost and so forth. So there's a couple of different ways. One is our website, it's pigeonrescue.org. And there's a lot of information there. So if you're interested, like you're like, oh, I always love pigeons. I just didn't know that they needed help or that you could have one as a pet. There's lots of them that need homes. It's not like you're taking a wild bird and making them captive. These are birds we cannot keep up with the demand for rescue. We have just here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, we have over 150 in our foster care. We are constantly over full. We don't even have a shelter or sanctuary. We depend on the homes and backyard aviaries of our volunteers. And we know of pigeon and dove rescuers all over the country So wherever you might be, if you want to support this effort, you want to help, we can help you plug into your local area. And you know what? If you're in an area and no one else is doing it, then you can start doing it. Um, I didn't know a thing about pigeons when I started this. They're so easy. They're very much uh, habituated to humans. They're very smart. They're very emotional. We call them masters of the leisure arts. They're very (laughs) chill and relaxed. They're not hard to take care of. They actually are really, really easy. And so getting connected with us, we have an amazing uh, Facebook group, uh, Palomacy Help Group, and we invite you to join us there. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Palomacy, or just go to our website, pigeonrescue.org, and there's links there. Elizabeth, our time is up, but we're going to do all those things. Thanks so much for being with us. Everybody else, stay with us through these messages, and we'll be back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating Pride Month with the LGBTQ community.
when listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio. You're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Ogan Holder, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Vulnerability is very uncomfortable, but as we know from so many teachings by so many people and from our own experience, the only way we will ever experience true connection is to be vulnerable, to be open, and to say, but, but we say to ourselves, but when we're vulnerable, we risk being hurt. Well, you only risk being hurt Again, if you don't get a full understanding of how love works, nothing and no one can hurt you. Nothing and no one is against you. And everything that happens in your life, as I always say, and I will always say, so if I keep saying it and you keep hearing it and you get tired of me hearing it, I apologize, but everything happens in our life as an opportunity for us to show up as God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltzweber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. What if a handful of ordinary, conservative Americans agreed to visit Egypt and talk to some ordinary Muslims to ask their questions directly and compare their cultures and religions? See Hearts and Minds open up in the new documentary, Free Trip to Egypt, which chronicles their journey and reveals their insights into Muslims and themselves. Free Trip to Egypt will be screened in a thousand theaters on June 12th. Find a showing near you at freetriptoegypt.com. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, we are having some uh, tech stuff going on. Anyway, I think I was telling you about this week's blog at MainStreetVegan.net. It is called What I Learned About Self-Care from a Tourist Attraction. I also, after we were talking about birds in the first segment, want to give a shout out 
to an intriguing documentary called For the Birds. It's about a woman who loved her chickens and ducks and turkeys, but it became a hoarding situation. This is a fascinating true tale. It's playing in New York City through Thursday, June 6th and at the, at the IFC Theater. And it will be at the Monica Film Center in Los Angeles, June 14th through 20th. You can check that out for the birds. And we will have Richard Myron, the director, on the show in August. But I wanted to let you know if you have a chance to see it on the big screen. And now it is my big pleasure to get to introduce to you somebody that I have admired for a long time. If you follow online influencers, then you know her, Kitten the Juice Pirate and sometimes Kitten the Vegan Pirate. She is Kitten Baca. Back in 2011, she started on the journey of losing 300 pounds through juicing, transition to a fully plant-based way of eating and living. She is currently a juice coach and animal activist. She says that she is vegan for God's animals and the planet and does wellness coaching for those who want to get off medications and lose weight and vegan coaching for those who want to help animals and the environment. Welcome, Kitten. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely wonderful to be with you. So we did lose a little bit of time on some of the tech stuff. So if you could just jump right in, you know, when people hear lost 300 pounds, they would think, no, no, wait a minute. She was 300 pounds. No, you lost 300 pounds. So take us on that journey. Right. Um, Back in 2008, I was living in Alabama and my weight skyrocketed I was um I couldn't drive anymore because I couldn't sit behind a steering wheel of the car and um I couldn't walk without the use of crutches so I um at the time the doctor uh, he told me I was he guessed over 500 pounds because his scale only went up to um uh only went up to 400 pounds and he couldn't get an accurate weight of me. So, um, so it was pretty bad. I, I was suffering a lot of health issues. And, um, in 2011, I went home to Colorado. My dad was real sick and, um, my mom said, let's try juicing. So we did juicing together as a family and the weight just started coming off and, I was learning a lot about uh, wellness, uh, reclaiming your health through whole foods, uh, plant-based. And um, so that's that's what started my journey. We uh, juiced for 45 days, and um, I, I noticed a difference immediately. It, I mean, it was just a matter of days, and uh, a lot of my, my headaches, just things that I was suffering from was dissipating. So that's uh, that's kind of how how I got on this path. Wow. So why do you think that it's easier for someone who has turned to food for solace? I certainly have the history of, of doing that. Why is it easier for people like us when we're in the throes of that to just juice than to eat, quote, moderately? Well, you know, I don't know about everybody else, but for me, I've battled emotional eating my entire life 
and um, foods, you know, they're comfort. And um, there is a lot of things in the foods that we get at the store today that actually make us crave them. And um, so it's, it's hard to give give those up. It's hard to make change. It's hard to um, give up things that we've grown up with. And for me, juicing was so easy because I had my recipes. I knew what I was doing and I was feeling better every day. So um, it, it just worked. It, um, yeah, I just got done coaching a, a husband and wife in California and um, they, they're diabetic and they've been really sick also. And um, juicing, it worked. I mean, it, it just helped. It gets you feeling better. And, um, when you're trying to do it through food, when you're trying to lose weight, it's, it's easier to, um, to cave and give in and eat something, um, that kind of sets you back. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause food is very addicting. It's very addicting. And, um, if you've, lived you know 20 plus years a certain way of eating your whole life it's really hard to make those changes yeah the juicing I think is definitely a kind of jump start I know that there is a whole juicing movement out there and I I would imagine that a lot of people who listen to this show who are are vegan or, or nearly vegan might not know that there is a world of juicers some of whom eat plant-based and many of whom don't so how did you find your way from juicing into plant-based vegan? Um, well, during my juicing, I did a lot of reading and a lot of research. And um, I found doctors like uh, Dr. Clapper who um, and Dr. Greger who talked about the healing benefits of plants. And so I wanted to do that after... I got off my juice cleanse, but I, I, um, really wasn't a hundred percent sure. So, um, after I did my juice cleanse, I went vegetarian. And, um, so I did that for a short time, but, um, I, after juicing and going to vegetarian, I noticed I still was, I wasn't feeling as good. And, um, so down down the road, I made that connection of the that it was the dairy that it really actually was because I was like, oh, are, are you sure that you know dairy is going to cause health problems? And um, as soon as I gave that up, everything. I mean, it was like if I was juicing all over again. I mean, everything cleared up. So I've been on both sides of the scale. I've um, you know done super clean, healthy. Um, to kind of process food. So I kind of learned what worked. And um, I've never felt as good my whole entire life as I am when I'm whole foods plant-based. And um, during that journey, I also started learning about animal agriculture and uh, what the animals endure. And so I, my kids and I ended up going vegan overnight in a uh, it was like the day before Thanksgiving, and um, we've we've done really well for. It's been uh, well since 2011. 
So that was eight years. Yeah. And, and your mom, too. I know you both came to Main Street Vegan Academy together. We love our mother-daughter teams. Right. I think you were the first. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what I'd do without my mom. She's amazing. Aww. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty great because they were also down that same journey, you know, after juicing because we, you know, we juiced together. And um, she gave me a call. She was living in California at the time. And she's like, your dad and I decided to go vegan. And I was like, what? Wow, this is that's great. So did we. So um, it was like right around that same time that we all we all went vegan. Wow. So on the juicing thing, Kitten, there there are a lot of people or at least some people in the whole food plant based world who are not fans of juice and they say it's not a whole food. I think anybody who's experienced it is a fan. But what do you say to people who kind of don't trust juice or juicing? Well, honestly, I think they're like with everything. There's a lot of misconceptions. A lot of people don't actually really no, they haven't researched it enough and studied it enough. Um, it's with juicing, it's basically to reboot your body. And it's not something you want to do for a year straight. It's just to get you on that right path to, to get you feeling better. So, um, it, you know, I think basically those people just don't really have a clue. And um, for people who do have struggles with eating, juicing really helps you get restart, you know, get your system rebooted. Yeah, you need to do that detox. Um, you know, I, I tell everybody you want to do that at least a week's um, juicing longer if you can. You know, if you can do it a few weeks get it under your belt, your taste buds change, and it makes it so much easier to uh, transition into a clean, healthy eating, like whole foods, plant-based. So what's your favorite juice? Um, I have one called Sunburst, and um, I love it. It's got red bell pepper, orange, and carrots. And sometimes I mix it up, and I'll throw some ginger in it. But it, it's it's lovely. And um, I followed Joe Cross and um, from the movie Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. And he has his main go to juice, which is a green juice. And he calls it mean green. And it's got kale, cucumber, um, celery, lemon and ginger. And it's it's an awesome juice. I mean, you're getting your greens in it into your body and um I think a lot of people don't realize juicing is so great when you are trying to make that initial jump because all those micronutrients, they're hitting all the cells. And um, it's like giving yourself a, a power boost and, um, and you're, you're feeling good right away and it just makes it so much easier to transition. Yeah. And if anybody has not seen Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, you've got to watch it. It's it's just enchanting, as well as everything you'll learn about juicing. It's inspiring. It's wonderful. And, and Joe Cross has been on the show. We can put the, the link on, on the show notes so you can be sure and listen to what he has to say. So, Kitten... There is a lot of talk, and in fact, we recently uh, did a show about this, devoted a segment 
to the idea that within the vegan world, there is a lot of fat shaming and body shaming and people not being accepted just because human bodies come in different sizes. And yet I know that you've really been in the throes of what the world calls morbid obesity. So where do you put all this? Well, um, I'm a a real sensitive person. And so I, I have a bleeding heart. And I when I see somebody being made fun of it or shamed, it really makes me feel bad because I've gone through it. And, you know, before even getting before anybody even gets to know me, they've judged me. And um, and being on this both sides of the scale, it it honestly doesn't really matter. I think that's just people. And that's something that we as the human race need to try to work on and change. Um, but it is it's, it's really sad. Like, I think we should meet people where they're at and just encourage them to and and tell them, you know, it's great that they're making changes and that they're trying because when they do shame them and it it just, it kind of discourages you and it, it makes it harder. We need all all the encouragement and support as we can get. So, um, you know, I remember one time I had started my uh, Facebook page and, um, I got on there and posted some pictures with the juice and someone got on there and said, Oh, uh, she's still a gordita, which in Spanish means fatso. Oh. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, I lost 300 pounds and this person's still calling me a fat, uh, you know, a fatty. And I was like, well, that's just great. I mean, way to go to, um, say something nice and positive. And, um, so yeah, it, it really, it, it breaks my heart because I think what the world needs most right now is love and support and just supporting each other and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, okay, you slipped up today, but that's okay. You know, you did good. Tomorrow's a fresh day. You know, I think there needs to be more, more support and love. Yeah. Well, what what I'm understanding, as I've spoken with with some of the people in the body positivity world, is that a lot of people there just say, you know, this whole thing about losing weight, been there, done that, didn't work, done with it. I'm going to accept myself the way I am and live in the body that I have. And that is certainly anybody's choice to make and nobody else's business. And yet... I, I look at you and you've had some difficulties with your body that if, you know, you're willing to share about that, it's just kind well, of a balance of, you know, finding what's going to work for you and allow you to be the person right. you came here to be. Well, I I think we should love each other no matter size, um, gen, you know, gender, any, I mean, love to me is the most important thing, loving each other no matter, you know, what we look like. Um, for me, you know, I did get my weight, you know, down. I mean, I lost 300 pounds and um, learned to, you know, start a new life. Um, unfortunately for me, a few years down the road from living so majority of my life morbidly obese, it's caused some damage 
to, um, to my body. Like, um, right now I'm dealing with, um, degenerative disc disease. So the discs in my, my back are starting to disintegrate. So, um, I have chronic pain and, um, when I'm doing super clean eating, I, I feel really pretty good. Um, if I go out to eat, I'm hurting the next few days. So I don't think people should shame anybody by appearance. Um, I think it, it's all about feeling good. I, I don't think anybody should be judged on their size or, or what they wear or anything like that. I think for each of us, we just should do what is going to make us feel better so we can live a good life. And so for me, it's not about being thin. It's about feeling good and being able to be a healthy mother and to be able to be healthy enough so I can go do the things I enjoy, like going out and doing animal activism and um, standing up for the environment and things. But, you know, if I'm not feeling good, I, you know, I can't do those things. So that that's kind of how I look at it. Very you know, wise. I have a lot of, um, from losing, like, I, I, I would say that probably the most thing I'm sensitive about, even though I, I try to, um, be supportive to everyone. And I, I am, you know, I have my own faults. I'm not perfect. And there's days that I am down on myself. But from losing 300 pounds, I have a lot of loose skin that I have lived with all these years. And, um, so it, it gets in the way, like, um, you know, sometimes with daily tasks like shaving, um, people don't, would never think about it, but, um, you know, I mean, I still love myself and I'm going to do the best I can to take care of myself. And, um, and I think that's what we should do for each other is just support each other and love each other. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and sometimes I think the world that we live in just sees things in such a short-sighted way. Oh, I don't understand why insurance doesn't want to pay for skin surgery. I think maybe some insurance does, but a lot of it doesn't. And it, to me, that just seems like that's the other half of doing right. this heroic thing that that you've done and that a few other people have done not a lot of people especially without surgery very few people have have lost the amount of weight that you have and it just seems like being able to get the rest taken care of ought to be easier well i think we live in a a world that's so so based on looks um you know the society is so all these things are co like considered a cosmetic surgery and um, most insurances don't look at it as um, an, a health issue. And for me, you know, I have a lot of rashes. And so in the summertime, as it's starting to get warmer, I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to start getting these rashes really bad again because of the heat. But um, and, you know, for me, I for years, I felt like I was at a great weight. I was happy, doing good. And then my doctor tells me with um my diagnosis, oh, well, you know, you could do really good if you lost some more weight. And I was just like, I'm at a great weight. I just have a lot of loose skin and um, it kind of gets in the way. So um, I had the opportunity to go coach this husband and wife 
um, in California and we did our 60 day juice cleanse and, and I, you know, I dropped a little, you know, I dropped 30 pounds and, um, thought that the doctor would be pretty happy about that. But, um, really it's the skin. I mean, I have, he guessed about 40 pounds of loose skin or more. And, you know, so if I lost any more weight, I'd probably look like a skeleton, but, <laughs> you know, so it's really not much I can do, but, um, not to change the subject too much. The couple I, uh, coached is doing great. Uh, the husband lost 60 pounds. The wife lost 50. She's off her medication and has went plant-based. So I am so proud of them. They're, they're doing awesome. But such a wonderful thing to be able to first help yourself and then help others. So, uh, listeners to find Kitten, you can find her on Facebook at Kitten the Juice Pirate. And she's on Twitter, Kitten the Vegan Pirate. And on Instagram, Kitten underscore the underscore vegan underscore pirate. We will put all of that on the, um, the show notes. There's also a YouTube channel, Kitten Barbasa. It'll all be on the show notes. So, Kitten, what are you up to now? Is, is health coaching and, and helping other people your great passion at this moment, or is there something else going on? Um, right now, I'm just, I, I'm coaching and uh, doing uh, things for the animals. Um, I, I feel real passionate about trying to help people get their health back and see that they don't have to live a life on medication and, um, and helping the animals at the same time is a win-win in my opinion. No, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no. (laughs) I, I just, I'm so thrilled with how many juicing people you bring to veganism. Because a lot of people, you know, get into juicing for their health and, and we're still told from the outside world, you know, grilled salmon and skinless chicken and all that, you know, is fine for your health. And yet you bring people this other message that's so profound and offers a, a life satisfaction that, that people just can't get until they, until they get it. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people, just take for granted that their doctors know everything. And um, I have a friend who wanted to have a baby. They told her she would never be able to. And for years they tried. And we talked about whole food, plant-based. And um, she slowly transitioned in, into that, started um, feeling really good. And it was a few months later she got pregnant. Aww. And so she has got the most adorable little boy. And um, she told me, she's like, I am so thankful that you shared so much about, you know, going whole foods and, and plant based. And and it feels really good knowing that I was able to help someone, you know, some, you know, have a dream that they'd always wanted. Ah. Well, you help a lot of people make their dreams come true. I am just so happy that we're on this planet at the same time. I just love and adore you and your mom. So everybody, (laughs) check out Kitten the Juice Pirate, Kitten the Vegan Pirate. This is one inspirational woman. She's strong. She's brave. She's spiritual. She's in it for the animals. I love her. And I know that if you don't know her already, you're going to love her too. Next week. We start our eighth year 
of the Main Street Vegan Podcast, and we're going to change how we end the program. So for the very last time, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.